Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church. What does church mean to you? We believe the church on earth is a spiritual family with a mission. These four weeks, we're talking about Grace Life Vision, what Grace Life is all about, so that you can know that Grace Life is your church. So let's know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world, and together be a part of my church. All right, welcome to Grace Life, everybody. How are you guys doing? So good to see you, man. Is it good to worship God or what? And I, I tell you what, I think the worship team made that easier to do today than sometimes. I, that was anointed. Who, who had a blast with that? I, I know I did. I, I tell you what, uh, we especially want to take a moment, welcome our guest, whether you are uh, online or here in the building. So glad to have you worshiping with us as well. Will you guys do me a favor? Put your hands together. Let's welcome our guest wherever they are all over the world. It's exciting to see what God is doing uh, with the internet. It's really cool. People all over the world worshiping with us. And uh, so, hey, we're actually in a series, part two of a series called My Church, What We're All About. And uh, this church is about, this church, this series is about our vision as a church. And before we go any further, we, we need to make sure we remember what a church is, what the church is. And the church is a spiritual family with a mission. Spiritual family, meaning that we actually all come into one family, not by uh, natural means like a mother and a father here on earth, but through spiritual means. Jesus Christ died for us. God is our father. We each end up becoming brothers and sisters. Some people use those terms. Ryan used it a minute ago in communion. He actually said brothers and sisters. It's, it's who we are. We're a family. In essence, Jesus is our big brother. And God gave that family a mission. There's something for us to do on the earth, and that is to bring as many people as possible into this family. That's what we're here to do. And so the reason we're doing this series is because understanding how we do church really determines what we get out of it. Do you guys believe that? That maybe you've ever been a part of more than one church. And when you understand how that church does church, it changes what you get out of it. So let me just give you an illustration that I think will be very practical for all of us. I want you to imagine that you go away for a little holiday getaway at a bed and breakfast, and you you're, you're, you know get there the first day, you check in, and you find out uh, that dinner is going to be in the dining room in about an hour. You've been driving all day, so you say, hey, we're going to do dinner here. So you go to the dining room, you have dinner, you have a great time. You get up the next morning, and before you go out to see the sights of the city, you, you want to have breakfast. And so you say, I wonder if they serve breakfast. We forgot to ask. And so you go down to the dining room, and the lights are off. No one's in the dining room. You look, you don't see anybody. You, you can't think, tell that anything's going on. So you just assume there's no breakfast and you go out to see the sights hungry. You're missing out on breakfast. And, and here's the point. They serve breakfast. They just do it on the veranda, not in the dining room. And since you didn't know how they did it, you ended up missing out on something. You guys see that correlation there? A lot of times I hear people talk about how they missed out on something at a church. They'll, they'll say, well, you know, I, I just couldn't get connected. I, I just didn't feel like I made a difference. I, I just didn't know what my part was. And, and the truth is no church is perfect. So sometimes that story's true and I'm sorry, it, it does happen. But sometimes, matter of fact, maybe a lot of the time, what happens is the church was on the veranda and you were in the dining room. 
and you miss out on what God wanted you to be doing and what God wanted you to get out of it, you ended up missing out. And so that's why we think this series is so important. It's why we put it right here again. We tried to do it about five months ago, but now is the world starting to move and we really want to make sure we are an effective church in our world today. That's our goal. And that's why right now we want to talk about how we do church so we can make sure we're all getting the right stuff out of God's family here on the earth. So each week what I'm going to do uh, in this four-part series, I'm going to talk about one of the four parts of our vision. We've got kind of a four-part vision. And before I get into each part each week, I'm going to go back and give you a very quick review of where we get our four key points from. And it's out of Ephesians 1. It's going to go real quickly on the screen here. It's actually from a prayer that Paul prayed over one of the churches he was working with. And so here, again, I started this last week, uh, but here's the, the first thing that he says. He says, look, I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is the first part of our vision is to know him. You see, God puts his spirit in us so that we can have revelation to understand who he is and what he's done for us, his goodness, that he loves us so much as, his, as our father that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we wouldn't be separated from him. And when we come to that awareness and that knowledge, the Bible tells us by the work of his spirit in us, then we recognize who he is. And that is the beginning of knowing God. But don't miss this, that's only the beginning because then the rest of our lives is getting to know him more deeply. We want everybody to know God personally and deeply. And then he goes on in his prayer to say that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened. The second part of our vision is about finding life. This is talking about what's going on inside of you. Look, everybody I know has had either a season or an experience where you've been on your way to heaven, but having a miserable time here on earth. I meet Christians all the time and you look at, hey man, how you doing? They said, don't ask. You're on your way to heaven. You know who God is. You know what he's done, but life on earth stinks. We're actually going to talk about this one in depth today. So we're just going to move right on to the third thing that Paul prayed. He went on to say, I, I pray that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. And the truth is you will never have hope until you know that your life has purpose to make a difference. God put you here to do something more than work a miserable job nine to five, Monday through Friday. Somebody better say amen to that, right? Come on. Because look, some of us love our jobs and some of us are still waiting to have a job we love. And here's the good news. If you're, if you're in that group still waiting to have a job you love is that's not the only reason God put you on earth. He put you on earth to make a difference. And I hope that someday that what you do for money lines up with making a difference in the world. But even if they never do, your job isn't the only reason, may not be the reason at all why you're here and what God's doing. We're going to talk more about that next week, but here's my promise to you. When you discover God made you for something and you begin to do that and you see other people's lives changed because of what God put in you, you will never be the same. And then the last thing that Paul prayed, he said, I pray that you will know what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe part four uh, for us is reach our world. It's real simple. If you see a great movie, the first thing you do is you want to tell somebody else. You discover a new restaurant. The first thing you do is want to tell somebody else. So if you have discovered 
the glorious inheritance of the saints. If you are experiencing the power of God in and through your life, then the first thing we should want to do is to tell everybody else about it, right? And so last week in part one, we talked at length about how we're going to know God as a family through our worship services. We talked about how it is so important to know God personally and deeply. And I just want to tell you, we had a lot of people. I'm excited. I just need to share this with somebody. And I hope you're as excited about it as I am. As we talked about the importance of giving an opportunity for salvation every week and understanding that people go to church, they say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, but I never knew you. It's not about doing church stuff. It's not about going to a building. It's about knowing him personally. And because of that, we had a lot of people make Jesus their king last week, both online and in this building. Let's celebrate that. I'm going to tell you, something that will depress a pastor is when you preach about Jesus and nobody responds. So I was excited. I tell you what, it just made my week when I heard that last weekend was one of our highest numbers all year of people making Jesus their king. That was just exciting for me. Um, but I still have to keep going because I'm not going to heaven yet. So there's more to the series. And here's the thing. As we were talking about how we want to know God together as a family, primarily through worship services, we have always said, I said it last week, there's more to church than Sundays. I know we do Thursdays and we do other days as well. What we mean when we say there's more to church than Sundays in the Bible Belt is we mean there's more to church than, than a worship service. There's more to church than sitting down for an hour either online or coming into a building. And the next three parts of this series is about the more than Sundays. It's about how we are called to be so much more than just gathered for an hour a week. Are you guys understanding that? So today we're going to talk about the second part of this, which is how we're going to find life together as a church family. And, and let me just tell you why we think this is so important. Because Jesus said it's what he wants for us. He said, I came that they would have life and have it abundantly. Let me ask you a question. What does abundant life mean to you? That, that could actually be hard to answer. You know what's easier to answer? It is what would you use to describe the opposite of that? Like when somebody says, hey, how's it going? And you say, not good. You, you have words that come to mind immediately. When I talk to somebody who says life stinks, there's a pretty universal list of words that just begin to come out like loneliness or, or struggling. They feel trapped. They're hurt. They're disillusioned. Maybe they're depressed. Maybe they're filled with despair. And I'm going to stop right there because that list could go on forever. But I didn't bring you here today to depress you. So we're not going to do any more of those. But look, what we want to do when we come together as a church family is we want to find life. That means we want to experience the opposite of those. For us, finding life is about experiencing in our lives the very opposite. That means we want to experience connection instead of loneliness. We want to experience healing instead of hurt. We want to experience hope instead of despair and growth and encouragement and breakthrough. And we do think that there's actually one way to experience all of these together. We believe that God actually designed something in our world, in our lives, in the church, where we can experience all of that through one thing, and that's small group community. Now, some of you may not be ready to buy into that statement yet because that, that, was, that was a loaded statement. But if you give me enough time today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to prove to you through Scripture that that's what God wants for us. And so for us, small group community here at Grace Life, we call it life groups. And so we want to find life through 
our life groups. That's how we're gonna do it as a family. Again, that's how we said we're gonna know God through worship services as a family. We will each know God individually through other experiences. We're gonna find life together through life groups. And I'm gonna show you why finding life through life groups, small group community, but first, we need a little bit of theology about how we're made. I need you to know we are not meant to do life alone. We're not meant to do life alone. You see, God exists in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we're made in his image. And here's, this is just one of the greatest mysteries for us because we have no point of reference. We don't know what it's like to be three in one. We're not three in one. We are one in one. It's, it's who we are. It's how we're made. And if anybody ever says that there's others inside of you and there are three of you, somebody will give you medication, right? Come on. I mean, we don't have a point of reference for, for having multiple in one. God exists in community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. It's one of the great mysteries. We may not be made in, in three parts, three in one, but we are made for community. We were not made in community, existing in community, but we were made for community. And so look, when I was in uh, college in campus ministry, we would ask a question a lot. And some of you have heard this question before. Uh, you use it as like an icebreaker or something when you're meeting people. And uh, so everybody was asking this question all the time. I don't really know why. It just became a popular dumb question people would ask. And, and they would say things like, so if you were stranded on an island, what would you take? And it was an icebreaker designed to get to know the person better. But here's the problem. When you ask that question in church, there's only one answer. I mean, if you say like I'm taking chocolate, they look at you like you're a heathen. I would say chocolate, but I mean, you've gotta say the Bible. You're gonna be stranded on an island. You can only take one thing. You are a bad Christian if you don't say the Bible. So everybody would say the Bible. We say, no, 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 man. The whole point of this is to get to know you better, okay? And so we started rewording the question. So if you were stranded on an island and you could take two things, you know, <laughs> that's just kind of how it was. And so then you could finally discover something about somebody else is that man, we just kept making this horrible. We were really like bad, bad churchy people because we would say the Bible and a worship album. You know, it's like, okay, just forget it, man. We're not even gonna do that question. But here's the, the, the problem. God didn't make you to live on an island even with the Bible and the Holy Spirit. I see some people thinking because they're thinking, I gotta think through a lot of scripture for a minute. I'm not really sure you can make a statement like that. The word of God, God himself, and you just said that's not enough. I'm not sure I can agree with you. Okay, let me show you what I learned studying scripture about this. There was a guy named Adam. He was the first of God's created beings. And Adam, the Bible tells us God made him and then God made a place for him. God took this guy named Adam and he put him in a garden. And this garden was specifically designed by Adam. Adam was freshly minted and created. Can I say it that way? Created, I mean, he's hot off the press, right? You know, Adam, I mean, he probably, yeah, a little bit like that. I mean, it looks like he goes to a gym, you know, never had cheeseburgers, you know, never had French fries, never had Dr. Pepper, even though it is the nectar of the gods, you know. I mean, Adam was it. 
He was exactly how God wanted him to be. He lived in a garden that was a paradise. The Bible tells us that he walked in the garden in the cool of the day, not Columbia humidity in August. No, no, no. This was gorgeous. This was like a Caribbean breeze. And so he's got the presence of God. There is no sin. There is paradise. There, I mean, did you get all of that? Perfection, paradise, presence of God, no sin, nothing has ever gone wrong. And God looked at it and said, not good. He's alone. I mean, he's got me. And I mean, there's no sin, but he's alone. And that's not good. And that really needs to strike some of us because I meet a lot of people all the time who they just don't like people. And I know how you feel. I mean, I, I love y'all, but I don't love all people. I just have to tell you that. And I don't mean that like I don't love them for Jesus' sake. I don't like crowds and I just don't like the way some people act. And so I know what it's like sometimes to just want to go home, lock the doors, and pretend those people don't exist out there sometimes because people can be challenging, right? And so some of us are just like, you know what? I just want to live on an island. Give me a Bible. Give me the Holy Spirit. I am good. And I meet Christians who are trying to do that today. Matter of fact, I, I, I'm, there's a lady in the church, friend of mine, I, I was uh, talking to her on a mission trip we went on and, uh, just a, a few months ago, and, and she was explaining to me that she actually has to make an effort to, to enter the world because she's able to, this was pre-COVID, by the way, this was before the world shut down. She worked from home, she's single, she, she loves being at home. She's got the stuff that she likes to do in her house. She has zero reason. She says, I would force myself to go buy groceries once a week just so that I had a reason to leave the house. Church and groceries, the only thing that would make her do it. Many of us have found ways to just live on our island right now. We think we are good. We don't need anything else. But I want to remind you what God said when he looked at Adam doing life alone. It is not good. And so look, this is, what I want to show you is, is our key passage for today. It's God's design for his family and community. And it, what I want you to see in this is why it is so important that we exist in community, that we choose to exist in community, that we fight to exist in community. You are made for community, but you can ignore it. But what I want to show you today is why we can't why this is so important. And this passage that we're gonna get into is going to use a phrase that maybe some of you have never heard. It's gonna talk about the body of Christ. If this is a new term for you, it's an unfamiliar term. It's one of the pictures that the Bible gives us of who we are. So if you were to read about believers in the Bible, the, the, the people of God, so to speak, one of the, the stories or the pictures we already have is that we're a family. And it's, it's honestly, a picture is not the right word because it, it actually is what we are. We are a family. And it also says we're an army. We're the army of God. Uh, and, and so another one of these understandings of who we are is we are the body of Christ. He's the head of the church, and the church is his body. And so it's going to use the metaphor of, of a physical human body, uh, helping us understand how we work together to implement what Jesus is doing. Think about this. If Jesus is in heaven and he's the head, then what he's going to do on the earth, he's going to end up doing through you and me. And that's for free because that's just a little drop to say come back for part four as we talk about why God left us on the earth. 
But our, our main passage is coming out of Ephesians 4. And it says, we are here to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom, again, the body of Christ here. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And that's a lot of words, but just look at that last part. With which it is equipped. The, the church, the body of Christ is held together by something. And here's what's interesting, especially in the light of Satan wanting to destroy and to divide. Especially in light of the fact that we wake up every day to a broken world and we struggle and we have difficulties and we want, or the world wants us to be torn apart. The enemy wants us to be torn apart, but we're held together by something and it's what's inside of each of us with the way that we're each equipped. You see, each of us is made to make a difference. We're going to talk about that more next week. So he goes on to say, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. But here's the thing. Each part is not working properly when it's alone. Each part is not working properly when it isn't growing. Each part is not working properly when it's suffering without help. It's not working properly when it's broken without healing. I mean, again, it's giving us a picture of our body. So you just think of your own body. What if you had a part or many parts that weren't working properly? If you break a leg, you can't run. I don't care if you're a marathon runner and you love to run and you're signed up for the Boston Marathon in a couple of months. If you break a leg, it's not happening. If you break an arm, you can't lift heavy stuff. You guys get the picture. And so God puts us together in a body. And then if someone of us, if we're not doing what God's called us to do together, then some part of the body is not able to function and do what he's called us to do. And he goes on. So from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. And we finally get to the point. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. In love, it builds itself up. Here's a key truth that a lot of Christians miss. Eternal life comes through Jesus' death. Abundant life comes through Jesus' body. You guys get that? Jesus said, I came that they would have life and have it abundantly. And I'm making a, a pretty like big declaration with this statement. And so I hope that I can prove it to you in Scripture as we finish today. But... Eternal life comes through Jesus' death. The abundant life that Jesus promised comes through his body. And that shouldn't be a surprise because what is his body? Each other. If he's the head, why should we be surprised that what he wants to do, which is give us abundant life, he would do through his own body? This is why the Bible says, look, let us not give up meeting together or neglect, as some versions say, let us not neglect meeting together, as some have made a habit. Here's what's crazy. This was happening 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, people were saying, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. Don't need the rest of you. Don't like the way the Romans run the government. Kind of don't like the way some of you do church. It's a little crowded, a little crazy. You know, 3,000 people getting saved every day. Crazy, weird people, flames of fire and tongues on their heads. Some of y'all just weird. I don't know about this, but I'm going to heaven. I talked to Jesus. I'm out. 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years later, later, some of us are still saying, it's good, man. I got the internet. I listen to another preacher every single day. I have seven sermons a week. I got a Bible, got the Holy Spirit. See y'all in heaven, peace. And that's the way some of us do life. 
But let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. There are too many of us that are still trying to be like Adam alone, thinking we're good if we've got God in the garden and God says it's not good. And let me show you what I think you miss if you try to do life by yourself on an island. And and so what we're doing through these life groups where we say we want to find life in life groups is we want to give you the main things that we think you're going to miss. And the first one is to connect with others. See, I believe that the world is full of lonely people and Christians should not be among them. When Jesus saved you, it wasn't just to go to heaven or you would already have been dead. He left you here with people to love you and for you to love them. He left us here in community. And look, most of my friendships, I had to think about this this week because I didn't want to offend anyone that I haven't developed a a deeper friendship with here at Grace Life. Maybe you're newer to Grace Life or whatever the story may be, but people that I know beyond their name and their face, people that I would not say, hey, that's somebody that goes to Grace Life, but I would say, hey, that's a friend of mine. I don't think at the moment that I can, I can come up with anybody that is in Grace Life that I would call friend that didn't go to a life group with me. I, I don't know how I would have ever gotten to know them just in the hallways. On a, I mean, I might, I might meet you, I might meet your, get your name and meet your kids and get your kids' names, but, but I'm not going to find out much else about you in the hallway in the middle of a worship service when, when there's crowds all around us. But when we've developed friendships, and I want you to think about the friendships you've developed in church. It probably was not somebody that you met in passing, walking down the hall, you were both getting a cup of coffee at the same time. But it was when we got together and we saw each other time in and time out, week after week. And there was a, a, guy, a guy in our church, his name is, is Frank, and he came to my life group years ago. And I'm just gonna tell you how friendships develop. Uh, Frank's an engineer. And uh, we had a two-story living room that we wanted to be a one-story living room because I wanted to put a room above it. And uh, so I said, someday we're going to close this in. I didn't realize he was an engineer, like a structural engineer. So he shows up for my, my life group the next week, and he brings his little book, and he brings his Bible and a tape measure. So he measures my whole living room. I'm like, okay, whatever. And he shows up the next week at my life group with an envelope. And I'm thinking, there's money in this thing, right? You know, I mean, come on. Yeah. I, there was no money in that envelope, I'm going to tell you. But here's what was in the envelope. It was an entire order list. He had figured out everything I needed. This many of this board, this many of that board, this many of that nail, this many of this bracket. He said, when you're finally ready to do this, just go give this to any hardware home improvement store. Well, a couple of years went by because, well, you know, you don't have time, you don't have money, you don't have whatever. And my wife and I, we started a renovation last year. We wanted to renovate our kitchen. And uh, as we renovated the kitchen, we noticed that the carpet and the rest of the house looked even worse than it did before we started. So well, we got to replace the carpet. Well, if we replace the carpet, let's do, oh yeah, let's do that, that thing we wanted to do. And, and so things just kept growing. And finally we said, hey, you know what, we're going to go ahead and do this. 
And, and so I said, uh, hey, Frank, I'm, I'm going to finally uh, do this part of my roof uh, or my, my, my renovation or whatever. And, and is that list that you gave me, is it still correct? Or do we need to kind of tweak it or something or whatever? He said, let me look into it. And I'm going to tell you about friendship because here's what actually ended up happening. He said, I, I've looked at it. Everything's good. Got all of your supplies ordered. And I've got some guys in the church that are going to help us do it. I've picked a date. I said, what is the date? He gave me the date. And I said, I, I'm out of state. I'm not even going to be here. He said, it's okay. We're going to do it for you. And everybody who showed up that weekend, I assure you, number one, were men that had their own projects to do with their own house. But number two, they were all people who had been to my life group at some point in time. You see, all of the friendships and the relationships we really want have come through those kinds of experiences. Now, you do have friends that you met in other of those kinds of experiences, but we're talking about the kinds of friends that we need that are pushing us closer to Jesus. Recently, uh, just a couple of, of weeks ago, I was at Frank's house for the 4th of July celebration, and his whole family was there. So he had aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, brother-in-laws, cousins. I probably got some of that wrong because I don't remember who was all married to who and everything else. But here's the point. I was the only non-family member that was there. And I wasn't there because I was his guest pastor. I was there because I was his friend. You see, that's what happens when we get together as the body of Christ. Matter of fact, what I've, I've noticed is a, there are some people who exp, uh, object to the idea of a big church. They'll, they'll come to a church and, uh, you, you know, they'll, they'll say, that church is just too big and I don't really want to be a part of a big church. I don't want to get lost in the crowd. When they, when they say they don't want to be a part of a big church, what they really mean is I want connection. And there's no way to get connection in a big church. And, and the reason that we do life groups is because we want you to be able to be a part of a church that is growing and it's growing because it's reaching people, but where you don't get lost in the crowd so that you can make those connections. The second thing that you'll miss out on if you're not being intentional about existing in community as the body of Christ is the second goal we have for our groups, and that is to grow together. The truth is, it, it is through both conflict and friendship. I know we, we wish it were just through friendship, but it is through conflict and friendship that God shapes us to the person that he wants us to be. That's why the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. But you know, the problem is some of us don't like conflict. And so we don't like people who cause conflict. And we don't like circumstances where conflict can arise, such as a small group of people in a living room where one of them is going to say something stupid or mean, and so I avoid it. You know, and that's what we do. And so as a result, we don't get around people that can say, I don't know if I agree with what you just said. And when we don't involve ourselves in small group community where somebody's going to be honest with us, then we don't know our blind spots. We don't know how we need to grow. We don't know how we need to change. It's back to the island again. Look, if you did live on an island with just the Bible and the Holy Spirit, you're perfect. <laughs> because there is nobody to cut you off in traffic and see a reaction that you have to repent from. There is nobody to like leave their stuff on the sandy beach that you have to pick up so you get angry and have to repent of. There's, when there's no one else around but you, you have no issues. That's why God puts us together with people to push our buttons and to show us that we are not quite like Jesus just yet to grow together. And then the third 
thing that I think we miss, and, and uh, I, I don't know if I should try to say that one's more important than the other. But I'm going to tell you, this one, this one we need. And that is to heal our souls. We miss out on the healing in our souls if we do not work, fight, and be intentional about existing in community. And let, me, let me show you this in Scripture because I, I know some people say, wait a minute, the Bible promises that God heals us. So let's go back to Paul's prayer. The one that we started with out of Ephesians 1. In verse 18, he, he used that phrase. He says, I pray that you'd have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And if you ever go back to Scripture, almost all of the time, the word heart represents our soul. I mean, there's probably a verse in the Old Testament where in some battle somebody got stabbed in the heart and it's referring to the blood pumping organ. But almost exclusively when the Bible uses the word heart, it's referring to our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. Essentially, it's our filter for life. And so when it talks about the eyes of your heart, what it means is the way that you see everyone, everything, God, yourself, every experience through your soul. The problem is that our souls are broken. Our souls have been hurt in this world. Every one of us has been through countless experiences. We're just the way that coach said that. You never wanted to try again. You quit the team and you gave up. Not only on the dream to maybe play on that team, but who knows, for the past 20 years, every time you've thought about stepping out and trying, you remember that day in middle school and what the coach said, and you've given up on every dream ever since. Maybe it was a father or a mother. They were trying to challenge you to something greater, but it didn't come out as a challenge. The, the, the list could go on. We can all think back to something that's hurt us and something that's broken inside. But it's the eyes of our heart that we see God through. It's the eyes of our heart that we see ourselves. It's the eyes of our heart that we see the hopes and plans for our own future. Everything comes through that. <clears throat> but as we get our hearts healed as we get our hearts more in line with what God wants for us when our emotions line up with God's design for our emotions then we become whole we become free we begin to find life and the crazy part God most often does the majority of this healing work not through angels, but through us. James 5 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Pray for each other. He doesn't say, come and talk to me. He says, go and talk to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Scripture is full of example after example after example of, of God using his people to do amazing things. 
Jesus looked at the 12 disciples and said, peace out, y'all got this. Like, really, you're gonna leave the kingdom of God in the hands of your people? Yep, and I'm gonna leave your health, your healing, your teaching. I'm gonna put it all in your hands. And if at any point in this message, you've still been reserved a little bit, like, okay, I like some of what you're saying, but I'm still not quite ready to sign up completely that this is, is coming through us, that this is important because I, God's touched me in amazing ways when I just sat at home and I prayed to him and God, I'm not sure that I want to agree with how much we need each other. It's because I, I left out something I wanted to save for the end. Jesus is the head, we're the body. This is not about what you and I do by ourselves. This is not about the secret power, you know, because you ate your Wheaties or Cheerios. It is about a secret power called the Holy Spirit. God puts his spirit in us so that then through his spirit and through us, we can experience the healing that we need. Because there's, there's the divine element and then there's the human element. The divine element is the power of God. It says, your heart is broken, but I can override that. But he does it in cooperation with the human element. Where somebody like Jenna says, I know the Holy Spirit can heal you, but I've been through what you've been through. Let me help you, Patrice. And, and, and so when somebody is able to sit down one human to another human, both filled with the Spirit of God and say, let me, let me show you what Jesus taught me about him when I went through that. Let me share with you how to pray I learned only by going through that. Let me promise you about the power of God and what he can do in your life that I would have never believed if I hadn't have gone through that. The Holy Spirit working in and through us. He's the head, we're the body, but we're the body. We are the body of Jesus Christ on planet earth. It is his plan to do amazing things through us. And one of the most amazing things he wants to do through us is help each other be who he made us to be, healed and whole and filled with dreams and passion for everything that he has for us. Look, life groups are not a program. I, I just need y'all to know that. This is not one of those things that says, hey, we've got a thing we do and I need you to do the thing we do. I'll admit, I, I did that. The first time I became a pastor, I, I did that whole, woo, you need to get involved in what we're doing here at the church. And God convicted me. I walked off stage that day, and I promise you, before I got back to my chair, God said, if they do what you just told them to do, how can you promise they will grow and be healed? We don't create life groups just to give you a thing to do. Life groups are not a program. But let's go back to the bed and breakfast, and breakfast is on the veranda and you're in the dining room. We just want you to know that, that we are going to be a church family that does not live on an island alone. 
We are going to be a church family that shares life. We are going to be a church family that says, you're struggling, I'm going to help. We are going to be a church family that is honest. When somebody says, how are you doing? And somebody goes, fine, you ain't fine. Let's talk. We're going to be a church family that fights to be the body of Christ on planet Earth. So again, the life groups are not a program. And, and let me tell you this, what I will not do, I will not stand here today and tell you that if you are not in a life group, you are missing out. I will not do that. Because some of you have found this apart from a Grace Life life group, and that is totally cool. What I will tell you is this. If you are not in small group community with believers, can I just elaborate on that point? I got people all the time, I'll say, you know, hey, uh, who's your small group? And say, oh, you know, hey man, the guys I went to college with, you know, they're my buddies. We go, you know, bowling every Tuesday. We go to all the USC games together, you know. We're, we, man, we're, we're tight. Like, yeah. You're the only one of them going to heaven. Tell me how they're helping you grow closer to Jesus. If you're not in small group community with believers, there is no funnel for the Holy Spirit to work through somebody that the Holy Spirit's not in. You're not gonna be growing. You're not gonna be getting the healing that you, it's not happening. So look, again, I will tell you, if you're not in small group community with believers, where somebody knows your name and your story, Somebody needs to know who you really are. Not just how to spell your name, but what's behind the name. What is your life really all about? If you're not in small group community with believers where somebody knows your name and your story, where you can connect and grow and be healed, then I will say you're missing out on something. And that something is the best opportunity for you to have the abundant life on earth God wants you to have. So we create life groups for the majority of us that can't find that any other way, or maybe just won't find it any other way. The truth is it's hard to do on your own. It is hard to go and find a person that you enjoy being around well enough to try to be around them, organize a time to get together, invite them over to your house. There's just a lot there. It requires you to have like an entrepreneurial spirit. It requires you to have like the gift of hospitality. It requires you to be hungry. It requires you to be a people person. And most of us are just going to say, never mind, I'll just do life alone. So we create life groups for people who are in need because they do not have their own small group community with believers where somebody knows your name and your story where you are connecting, growing, and being healed. That's what we are going to do as a church. We are not gonna do life alone. We are not gonna stand by and watch the enemy take another person out while we just smile and say, it's good. My life is good. That's their island. <laughs> we're invading each other's island, y'all. That's what we're doing. We're building bridges, we're building boats, and we are doing life together. Can I pray for us? God, we, 
Oh God, you are so good. We thank you that you did not leave us to do life alone. This world is too hard. There are many days this life is too painful. But we thank you that you gave us each other as an extension of you, of your body right here on earth. You give us hope through each other. You give us healing through each other. You change our lives through each other. We thank you that you love us so much to fill us with your spirit. And through your spirit and through your children, we can have the life that you intend for us. We don't have to suffer all the way to heaven. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. The simple truth, God is holy and we're not. If you're here today or watching online, if you understand what I'm saying, then you are already old enough that you have missed the opportunity to be perfect. Somewhere along the way, there was an attitude or a thought or, or something that was unholy. And now the only other opportunity for you is to recognize Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for you so that his perfect life would pay for your sins and not his own when he was crucified. And then by the power of God, he was raised from the dead to show us that by that same power, you and I can be raised to eternal life. It's called the free gift of salvation. It makes us right with God, provides forgiveness, and helps us experience his love. If you've never done that, I wanna help you do that right now, wherever you are. Whether you're kneeling on your living room floor or you're in this room here today, just say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you have forgiven me. I thank you that you died for me. And so now I want to live for you. In my simple prayer, is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.